Tonight we kick off the summer series, and our first guest is uh, Brother Jameson Stewart, and he is the preacher at Hobbs Street in Athens, has been there about a year and a half. He's married with three precious children. I don't know uh, Jameson personally, but I feel like I know him a little bit. I don't know how many of you might tune in on Sunday mornings on Channel 54 at 7 o'clock. Uh, there is a program of our brethren uh, called uh, Fabric of the Family. And uh, uh, Brother Stewart is often a guest on that program, and uh, it's a very good program. Right after that is In Search of the Lord's Way with uh, Phil Sanders. So you got a whole hour there that's just uh, gets you ready for our worship here on Sunday mornings. But anyway, we're pleased to, to have uh, Jameson with us now, and I'll turn it over to him. Certainly thankful to be with you tonight. Grateful for the opportunity to spend some time studying God's Word together with you. If you will, open with me tonight to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 is where we're going to be spending some time tonight. I think I was told that y'all sort of had a theme this summer, wisdom to live by, lessons that build us up, lessons that encourage. So, my mind went to Proverbs chapter 3. In fact, I, I've titled this Wisdom to Live By. We're going to have, if we get to all of them, we're going to have ten different lessons from this chapter. Things to, things to live by. Important principles when it comes to living this life. Proverbs, as you know, written, or at least much of it, if not all of it, written by King Solomon, a book of wisdom. A book that elevates wisdom, elevates God's word and the truth we find in God. The beginning of Proverbs chapter 3, the first two verses, the first lesson, if you will, the first bit of wisdom to live by is remember God's law. Remember God's law. Solomon tells his son, My son, do not forget my law. But let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. Now Solomon is writing by inspiration. This is more than just Solomon's words. This is, in fact, the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Literally, it is the breath of God. It comes from the mouth of God. Literally, then, all Scripture is God's Word. And so in reading what Solomon writes here, certainly we're reading a father sharing wisdom with his son, but it's more than that. Solomon is urging his son to listen to this because this is more than just Solomon's good advice. This is something that is coming from God. And Solomon is urging his son, in this case, urging his children, not to forget these things, to remember God's law. This is something that 
especially throughout the beginning of the book of Proverbs, you'll read something like this over and over again. He's urging his son, he's urging his children, remember what I've taught you. Uh, remember what your mother and I have taught you. Don't forget the things that we have shared with you and taught you. And Solomon reminds his son that generally speaking, someone who lives according to God's law will live a longer more peaceful life, though maybe not always according to the world's standards. While the Christian life, while the life serving God and living for God is certainly a blessed life, it's not always the kind of life that the world would look at and think, you know, whatever they have in mind, you know, the good life, whatever the world's standard for that is, you look at the Christian life, and it's not always what the world would think of when they think living the life that's good or, or living on top of the world, so to speak. But Solomon is sharing with his son is you really want to live a good life, then remember God's law. Don't forget what God's word said. If you truly want a blessed and meaningful and purpose-filled life. So first of all, wisdom to live by. Remember God's law. The second thing we find in the next two verses here in Proverbs 3, verse 3 and 4, and Solomon's going to also continue and remind his son to have mercy and truth ingrained in your character. When people think of who you are, Mercy and truth need to just be built into the fabric of who you are as a human being. Notice verse 3 and 4. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Notice how in verse 3... He urges his son to, to draw mercy and truth closer and closer. He, he first says, don't let it forsake you. you know, don't let it get away from you. Keep it close by. But then he goes another level, closer, and says, bind it, wrap it, draw it around your neck, tie it around your neck. So now it's not something that's within arm's length. You know, keep it close by. It's keep it on you at all times. But then he goes even further than that and thinking about keeping mercy and truth close by. And he says, write them on the tablet of your heart. And really what he's emphasizing is mercy and truth. It's not just something that is supposed to be kind of part of who we are. He says, as someone who is striving to live a life according to God's law and God's word, mercy and truth is supposed to be written on the tablet of your heart. It's supposed to be ingrained into your heart. Oftentimes in the Bible when it speaks of the heart, it's speaking of your mind. It's speaking of the core of who you are as an individual. We might say you're getting to the heart of the matter, getting to the center of who you are as a human being. And what Solomon is urging his son is when you get down to the very core of who you are as a person, 
as who you are as a follower of God, what you should find there is mercy and truth. You think about mercy and truth. Mercy, I suppose, we would often describe it as maybe someone is merciful to us. They don't give us what we perhaps do deserve. Oftentimes it's punishment that maybe could or should be handed out, but for whatever reason it's not. We should be merciful people. And I think at least part of the reason why that is true is you think about, first of all, thinking about God's law and who He is and what He's done for us. One of the very first things that you quickly come to realize is that the scriptures teach all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages, the payment, the fair reward, the, the wages that you have earned for sinning is death. So we know what we have rightfully earned. We know what we deserve for our sin. But when we go through the scripture, what we find is that God offers something very, very different through His Son. And that is mercy. He does not offer us what we deserve. He offers us something far different, something far better. Eternal life is the second half there in Romans 6, verse 23. So you get down to the very heart, the very core of who someone is who is serving God. Mercy ought to be found there. And the other part, though, truth. Truth is something that a follower of God cannot set aside, cannot compromise on. Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me, he says, John 14, verse 6. Jesus is the truth. We are Christians. We are disciples of Christ. We are his followers. We are students enrolled in the master teacher's school. And what we find out about Jesus, his character, who he is, is he is truth. So when we come to God and you remember God's law and Solomon is saying, when you get down to who you are at the very core, mercy and truth must be found there. Have those ingrained in who you are. The third point that Solomon goes on to make, he urges his son to remember God's law, to have mercy and truth ingrained in your character at the very core of your being. The third thing is to trust God's way completely. Trust God's way with everything that you have. He says in verse 5 and verse 6 of Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Our trust in God should saturate who we are and guide our path, guide the way that we live our life. We live a life trusting God with every step that we take. Reminded of what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 
119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105, where it simply says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And you get the picture of that. Psalms is a book of poetry. It's, it's very, oftentimes, very figurative language. It's painting a picture. It's wanting you to think about and really touch your emotions in a lot of ways. That's what poems are. They're someone's innermost thoughts and feelings poured out onto a page. And there in the middle of this Hebrew poetry, inspired of God, we read, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You think about a lamp to your feet. It helps you to see where you are at the moment. See what's around you at the moment. But a light to my path, that's not so much where you are at the moment, but it shines the way to where you need to go. The psalmist is painting this picture of God's word. It shows me where I am right now. Whether that's in a good place or whether I'm in not so good of a place, God's word shows me where I am. It shows you where you are. It's one of the reasons sometimes I think you know, honestly, why, why sometimes it can be very difficult to, to study God's Word and to really sometimes take as close of a look as we need to is because what we find is when we go to God's Word is it truly is a lamp to our feet. Whether we like it or not, God's Word is going to show us where we truly are, where we truly stand. But the good news is, is wherever we currently stand, God's Word is also a light to our path. It shows you the way, the way you ought to take, the way forward. If you're in not so good of a, a place in your life, spiritually speaking, God's Word shows the path out of that. It shows the way forward. If you are in the in a right place, if you are in right standing with God, we might say, it shows the way forward. So what Solomon tells his son here, and he's reminding all of us, this wisdom to live by, is you have to trust God's way completely. And that ought to saturate who you are and guide every decision that you make. It's also interesting, though, in those few verses, that... He tells us that we're either, we are either trusting God or we are relying on, leaning on our own understanding. There's, there's no in-between here. It's one or the other. Either someone is trusting God with their life or they are trusting in themselves. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. No man, he's speaking of something a little bit different, but the point of you can't do both is the same. No man can serve two masters. And he goes on to say, you cannot serve God and mammon, or you cannot serve God and wealth, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24. And the point being is, don't, don't deceive yourself into thinking that you can serve both. Because God says we cannot. Jesus says we cannot. What Solomon is saying here in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust God's way completely. Lean on Him and His way and His word and His understanding. 
You cannot trust yourself, your own thinking, your own ways, and trust God. It's one or the other. And so Solomon is, is urging his son to rely on God. Relying on our own understanding is compared to depending on something that's unreliable. Y'all have probably all had a car at some point that was rather unreliable. Or perhaps you have one right now. And you know, when you would go on road trips, which vehicle would you take? The reliable one or the unreliable one? If you had your choice, y'all would probably roll out in the one that you feel pretty confident is going to get you uh, to where you're going and also back. Solomon is telling his son and telling us, trusting in your own wisdom, trusting in yourself, that is trusting in what is unreliable. It's not something you can count on all the time because as we all know, whether we like to admit it or not, sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we mess up and we make mistakes and we make the wrong judgments about things. That is what is called unreliable. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. With God, He is trustworthy completely, always reliable. So the third thing is trust God's way completely. The fourth thing that Solomon mentions in verse 7 and verse 8 of Proverbs 3 is to remain humble. Remain humble. He says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. That's verse 7 and verse 8. Instead of following up what he's just said, don't lean on your own understanding, trust God. Following that up then, instead of arrogantly thinking that we can handle this life on our own, we must fear God and depart from evil. In other words, instead of thinking that we can handle life, trusting ourselves and trusting that, you know, well, we can handle it. What Solomon is saying is trust God's way. And God's way is fear Him, reverence Him, and depart from evil. Don't think that you can cling to whatever this evil may be. He says depart from that. Don't be, Paul makes the point in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. Don't be impressed by your own wisdom. Uh, don't, don't be impressed by supposedly how much you have things figured out. Don't be impressed by your own wisdom. Don't trust in your own wisdom. Don't be wise in your own eyes. The opposite of pride here is fearing God and departing from evil. The opposite of arrogance, the opposite of pride, is fearing God and departing from, turning away from evil. Humility is not acknowledging God, but then living any way that we want to live. That's, that's not biblical humility. Humility is not acknowledging God and living any way we want. Humility is also, though, not trying to live a good life 
while forgetting about God. True humility is acknowledging, reverencing, respecting God, and living for Him. That's what humility looks like in this passage. And so lesson number four, Solomon urges us to remain humble, not to think too highly of ourselves. And then in verse 9 and 10, the fifth lesson, he urges us to honor God with the things that we have. Honor God with your possessions. He says in verse 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. If we're serving God with all of our being, which Solomon has talked about a good bit up to this point in this chapter, not trusting ourselves but trusting God, humbling ourselves, fearing God and departing from evil, submitting yourself completely to Him. And if we are ser serving God with all of our being, that includes serving Him with the possessions that God has given us. Uh, Solomon is reminding his son, if you're going to serve God with your whole being, with everything you have, that includes the things that you have in this life. To honor God, it means to give Him the rightful place of authority in our lives by giving Him these, these gifts, these first fruits, these offerings, if you will. To claim that, that we honor God and serve God, but to have an area of our life where He is not honored, Solomon is really calling us to realize that if there's an area of our life, whether it be possessions or whether it be anything else, if there's an area of our life where we do not honor God, then we really do not honor God at all. Because God demands and He calls us to serve Him and to live for Him with all of our being. Uh, well, and we, we talked about it a few moments ago in Matthew 6, 24. You can't serve God and something else. God does not accept half-hearted service. God does not accept uh, someone who is on one hand wanting to serve God, but on the other hand holding on to something else. It's wholehearted devotion to God or it's nothing. And Solomon is reminding his son to honor God with what he has. You could jot down, if you're taking notes, Luke 12, 13 through 21, the, the, where Jesus interacts with the rich young ruler. That young man had many, in fact, if we had been able to meet him, we probably, we probably in our limited judgment, we probably would have thought this is a faithful, devoted servant of God. Because you remember, he has that conversation with Jesus and talking about the different aspects of the law and, you know, honor your father and mother and all these things. And he says, you know, I've kept all this from my youth. When you compared his life with really the law, it, I mean, it, it was pretty good. He lived what we would probably on the surface see as a faithful life. But Jesus knew something about him because Jesus is God. 
Jesus knew something about him that perhaps was not so evident on the surface. Jesus knew that this rich young ruler had a problem with wealth. He loved wealth. In fact, and then when Jesus tells him, really, it's a challenge to him. Who will you serve? And the rich young ruler, the text says, he goes away sorrowful, for he had great, much, many possessions. And ultimately, when it came down to it, though on the surface his life appeared to be faithful to God, he really, once you got down to, as we said, the heart of the matter, he really did not serve God, at least not at that moment in his life. We don't know what happened to him later. But so Solomon, and Solomon, by the way, a very wealthy man. I did the, uh, the math one time in going through the, the revenue that Solomon had coming in as a king. Just the yearly, you know, the, the, the taxes and just the different streams of money that were coming into Solomon's treasury every year. And if you bring it forward, doing some estimations, and you bring it forward to our money today, Solomon had several billion dollars a year, a year, coming into his treasury. If Solomon were alive today, Solomon would be one of the richest people on the planet. And we've heard of some of those people. You know, most of those people today... They're usually in the news every week, whether it's Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates. Solomon had that level of wealth. That was where his wealth was. And someone who, probably for many of us, think, well, you know, Solomon, you know, there were no financial problems in his life. He had it all. And Solomon is telling his son who is going to inherit at least some, if not all, of Solomon's wealth, he's telling his son, do not forget to honor God with the things that you have. Solomon realized the importance of honoring God, at least at this point in his life, of honoring God with possessions. And then as Solomon goes on, for lesson number six, I think this is, he tells his son something very interesting. Tells him to appreciate the benefits of suffering. Appreciate the benefits of suffering. In verse 11 and verse 12 of Proverbs 3, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. The Hebrews writer quotes from this, by the way, in Hebrews 12, verse 5 through 11, also referring to the benefits of God's discipline. And we think about the response to suffering. You know, I guess our common response, I know mine is, you know, is to, to just wish it would be over, to loathe it, hate it, detest it. Just when, when is this going to be over with, whatever it may be? ready to get out from underneath whatever that suffering may be. But Solomon is pointing something out, that the righteous see suffering in a different way. They see it and understand it 
as it's, it's helping you become who you need to be as a child of God. I'm reminded of what James wrote over in James chapter 1. James had something very similar to say about this. In James chapter 1, beginning with verse 2, he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's verse 2 and verse 3. Produces endurance. Solomon is urging his son to see suffering as an opportunity to grow, as an opportunity to grow stronger in your faith, an opportunity to, to build your endurance, to continue on the path that, that you've been going on and you've been walking on, running on all these years. Appreciate the benefits of suffering. Back in Proverbs chapter 3, number 7, verse 13 through 20, he tells his son to find wisdom and gain understanding. He says, happy, verse 13, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver. And remember, a, in our wealth today, a billionaire is writing this. Her proceeds, the proceeds of wisdom and understanding are better than the profits of silver. And her gain, the gain of wisdom and understanding, than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. And all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand, he's still talking about wisdom and understanding, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. He's showing us a picture as to here's why. Because by wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down the dew. A full and happy, fulfilled, meaning, meaningful, purpose-filled life on this earth. Solomon is reminding his son, you're not going to find it in money. You're not going to find it in wealth. If you are looking for the meaning of life in the things of this world, Solomon, who is a billionaire, is telling his son, you will not find it there. The book of Ecclesiastes, by the way, is, is basically Solomon looking for the meaning of life. And he tries everything this world has to offer. Wealth is one of those things. And his conclusion, you probably remember at the end of that book, is fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole of man. This is what life is supposed to be all about. Living for God, that's how you will find a meaningful life. Find wisdom and gain understanding. He's not talking about a formal education here. He's talking about a knowledge based upon God. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3 verse 18. He's saying learn what God has to teach you. 
and apply that. That is where you will find what you are looking for. And then after he says, find it, verse 21 through 26, is once you have found it, he says, keep it, hold on to it. My son, verse 21, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So not just, don't just find it and know where it is, but find it and hang on tightly to it so that they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble when the wicked, from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Once you find the knowledge which begins with God, Proverbs 1-7 says that, True knowledge and wisdom begins with the knowledge of God. He says, once you find that, do not let go of it. Hang on to it. Cling to it with everything that you have. Those who keep wisdom and understanding have a peace that survives even the worst of suffering and trials. Paul talked about that in Philippians 4, verse 6 through 8. A, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Solomon is telling his son... You're not going to find peace in the things of this world. In fact, as we all know, you usually find a lot more anxiety and stress and frustrations and trouble. He says you're not going to find what you're looking for in the things of this world. You will find it in what God has to offer. And you need to hang on tightly to that. And then he closes this chapter, verse 27 through 30, and then there's one more after that. With on top of all of this, a lot of this has been very inward focused. He's wanting his son to look inward and apply things to himself. But now he's taking all of these lessons he's taught up to this point, and he's wanting it to affect his son's behavior toward other people. He says, verse 27 through 30, treat others right. Treat others right. Do not, verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. Do not devise evil against your neighbor for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Do not strive with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Solomon tells his son, when you have the ability to do good for someone else, to do good to them, to help them. He says, you know, don't put that off. If you have the ability to help them right now, then help them right now. Don't withhold from someone's needs if you can help meet their needs. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 7 through 12. He talks about asking, seeking, knocking, and implying is when we come to God with things that we need, pouring our heart out to Him. He is there for us. He reminds his son, don't plan evil against your neighbor. Someone you could catch off guard. They dwell next to you. They live next to you. And they're there, he says, for safety's sake. They're, they may be concerned about others, but they're living next to you. They're not concerned about you. There's a level of trust there. And he's telling his son... Don't take advantage of someone that you could easily take advantage of. And then he says, don't 
Don't quarrel with someone who has done you no wrong. Treat other people right. Really, as Jesus says in Matthew 7, 12, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's really sort of the principle that Solomon is getting across here. Treat people the way that you would want to be treated in all things. And then finally, the final few verses, verse 31 through 35, the last lesson tonight. Do not envy the wicked. Do not envy the wicked. He says, do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. Someone who is oppressive in this world, sometimes you can look at their life and it seems like everything is going their way. It seems like they can just get everything they want. Sometimes just by enforcing their will or their power or their might on other people whether it be rulers of countries or whether it just be someone at work or someone at school. Sometimes people who are oppressive tend to get their way. And sometimes it can be very easy to envy those who it seems get what they want more often. And Solomon is urging his son, don't envy those people. Because while it may seem like they're getting everything they want, you need to understand the reality of the situation. The reality is the curse of the Lord is on their house. They are not someone who is living in such a way that pleases God. They are living in such a way that is, that is detestable to God. They're not living a life that is right with God. So really, Solomon is calling his son to really see things as they really are. It can be very easy in our world today to go on whatever social media platform you may be on. And it's, there's always these people that it just seems like, you know, there's pictures from this place or that place and life is just... Social media is everybody can paint their life exactly the way they want it to look but you don't ever really get the real picture of what that person's life is like. <clears throat> you know, all these you know, different celebrities and whoever, athletes, whatever it may be, you know, they post a picture from you know, their mansion or whatever, out wherever on some island, and it's like, boy, what a life they live. But you don't see everything else. They don't show you everything else. And we don't see the reality of their life. And what Solomon is urging his son to do is see reality. See things as they really are and understand that this life, this life is not all there is. And living a life that pleases God and that submits to Him, that's the kind of life that we ought to live. So as we've thought about all these things tonight, we think about our lives, I know we'll have the invitation here in a few minutes. You, know, you think about what if, as a Christian, we committed ourselves to just the things we've noticed tonight from Proverbs 3. Imagine the good that could be done in every community 
that could be done across the world if every Christian would commit to living their lives by just these ten things we've looked at tonight. People who are merciful, people who cling to the truth, people who treat others right, people who see the benefit in suffering and who are willing to grow from it. Imagine the good that could be done in our world if we are willing to live our life according to these principles, according to this wisdom from God. As we've thought about these things, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you tonight. I want you to think about when I study, when I study the scriptures, it can be very easy to only think about you know, how this applies to somebody else. You know, it's very easy to think of, you know, 5, 10, 15 people who, you know, well, so-and-so needed to hear that. Um, as someone who teaches and someone who preaches, it can, be, it can be very easy as well for me to do that. So-and-so needs to hear this. But what I would urge you to do, not with just this lesson, but any time you study, any time you hear a sermon or you're in a Bible class or maybe you're teaching or maybe sometimes you are preaching. This is not just wisdom for somebody else to live by. Not just wisdom for everyone else. But this is for you personally. You individually. Me. I think that was the, the bell I've heard about. Um, but anyway, as far as we've talked about these things tonight, I appreciate your good attention. That's what I would just leave you with is... Think about how these things apply to you personally, individually. But I appreciate your good attention this evening.